0: Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Voice of Business podcast. I'm Kyle Jacobson with the Lubbock Chamber of Commerce. Don't have a guest to join us on the podcast this week. I'm just going to kind of update all of you on a few different things that are going on simultaneously. We'll start with a story that's kind of gained quite a bit of traction here locally. Um, Regarding Big 12 realignment, of course, Texas and OU have made their intentions clear to leave for the SEC. And that has been a major talking point across the community ever since. You may have seen the chamber published a study that was um, conducted by the Perryman Group. um, And they outlined why this is such an important issue Not just to Texas Tech University, but for the Lubbock community and the economic impact that will result from this um, Big 12 realignment. We've published the full report. It's available on our website and uh, has been published on our social media channels. But to just kind of hit some highlights, they broke down a couple of different scenarios of what could happen next. The first is... Um, The Big 12 kind of remains intact with, you know, the eight members that are remaining. Potentially expands, and um, the TV revenues, the attendance figures, all that is in line with the American Athletic Conference. And then the second scenario they looked at assumed that the Big 12 kind of broke apart and all the various remaining teams sort of scattered to other conferences across the country. And they used the Mountain West Conference as a baseline for Texas Tech and Lubbock and the impact it would have on those two um, in this second scenario. The full report is about 20 pages and does a great job of breaking down the data in terms of tourism, education, business, all that. Because as we know, a Saturday game day here in Lubbock isn't just a football game people come in from out of town that might mean airport traffic it means they gas up their car if they're driving in from the Dallas Fort Worth area or anywhere else they spend money on pregame food drinks um they might go buy merchandise from a local retailer there it, there's a huge economic impact to this beyond just the football game and the the dollars that would go to Texas Tech itself so anyway between these two scenarios, the Perryman Group estimated that kind of the low end for economic impact on the Lubbock community would be in the ballpark of $117 million, and the high end about $167 million. So if you kind of just take the midpoint there, you know, maybe about $140 million would be a safe estimate, and that's obviously very significant. In addition, they estimated that between 1,600 and 2,200 jobs from our local workforce would be lost. Again, this isn't just as a result of Texas tax budget taking a hit, but all the jobs that are associated with game day activities and all that goes along with playing major college football. Um, and lastly, the impact on tax revenues, things that help fund public safety, um, Public utilities, roadways, all of that, things we rely on on a daily basis. Of course, when there's economic activity, that generates tax revenue. And the Perryman Group found that between six and nine million dollars in local tax revenue would be lost um, on an annual basis if Texas Tech were no longer playing in the Big 12 or a comparable major conference. So, again, I would encourage you to go look at the full report. Um, You can kind of skim it and find the highlights and the breakdowns, but we thought it was important to communicate to the community just how essential this is and um, what a a setback it would be for Texas Tech to be left out of a major conference in the ongoing realignment discussions. Related to those conversations, it has been um, a series of conversations about the Permanent University Fund, or PUF, And this has gotten some local media coverage, and rightfully so. And again, there's uh, all kinds of information out there on our blog uh, on lubbockchamber.com. We also published an op-ed in the Lubbock Avalanche Journal on this topic. There's a story published in NPR uh, by Texas Tech Public Media earlier this week. And I think a similar conversation will be featured on Talking Points with Brian Mudd on KMAC this weekend. The the crux of the issue on this is that, for those unfamiliar with how the PUF works, it was established as a, an, an endowment fund for higher education institutions in the Texas Constitution back in 1876. Of course, at the time, Texas was a pretty new state. It only had two university systems, the University of Texas and Texas A&M University. And in the 140, 150 years since then, We have, of course, grown um, to a tremendous extent. We have about 30 million citizens now, six public institutions of higher education, um, excuse me, six um, public university systems. In addition to the original two, there's, of course, the Texas Tech University System, University of Houston System, North Texas System, Texas State System, and actually on September 1st, there will be a seventh Texas Woman's University System. And of course, they all have several different component campuses and institutions that make up those systems. But even to this day, you know, all these years later, and with the PUF being valued at more than $30 billion, only two university systems can access those dollars, and only students at those university systems are able to reap the benefit. And what kind of adds insult to injury on all this is that the value that has grown that fund to such a robust amount and has allowed the University of Texas system and A&M system to accumulate the two largest public university endowments in the entire country, the value is generated exclusively in West Texas. Um, The PUF generates money through public lands in West Texas that um, are rented out for um, oil and gas royalties, mineral rights, water rights, The land can be rented out for grazing, and then lately we've even seen some that are commercial vineyards and wind farms. All the kind of typical industries you think of when you think of West Texas, and that value gets extracted from our region, sent to two university systems, and none of it returns in the form of not just puff money for the Texas Tech University system, but um, we also see it does not return in the form of broadband access or an investment in the uh roadway infrastructure near the oil patch if you've ever driven down there you know that the roads are in constant need of repair and so we've sort of called into question if this is really the fairest approach in 2021 certainly understand the origins of the puff and why it was designed that way but simply think it uh, c- could use some reexamining and some updating now that the state has grown to such a great extent since the puff was created and make sure that that money that's generated in West Texas uh, benefits not just the Texas Tech University system, but there could be a solution where all university systems in the state are able to access that money and benefit like the University of Texas system and A&M system have. So if you're interested in learning more, like I said, there's all kinds of resources out there. You can go to the Chamber's website, the AJ NPR, or tune in to Talking Points this weekend. Um, Earlier this week, I was in San Angelo for the West Texas Legislative Summit. That's an annual gathering um, in San Angelo of all kinds of West Texas stakeholders. And they have done a great job over the years. Of course, couldn't pull it off last year with the pandemic. But um, they gather um, not just elected officials from the state and federal level, but um, we had Chancellor Mitchell in attendance. There's representatives from the U.S. Chamber staff members for our elected officials, so it's a great opportunity to go um, learn more and listen about updates going on in Washington and Austin, and they have informative panels. This year, they had several on trade, energy, agriculture, education, and I thought this year's was particularly interesting because the congressman from both of our neighboring districts in lubbock so to the north of us congressman thornberry retired after several years in office and um their new congressman his name is ronnie jackson he was in attendance so we got to hear from him for the first time and then to our south um, august pfluger took over for mike Conway after several years in office so it's great to kind of get to hear from our neighboring congressmen and get their thoughts on these important issues Um, All kinds of factoids and everything. Uh, The two that kind of stick with me is Congressman Arrington told the audience that his district, the 19th District of Texas, which spans um, several counties, but kind of the two main focal points are Lubbock and Abilene, more renewable energy is generated in his congressional district than any of the other 49 states in the country um, can do as an entire state. So we're kind of leading the way on, on that. I don't remember the exact number of miles of oil and gas pipeline in the state of Texas, but Railroad Commissioner Christy Craddock said that it was enough to stretch to the moon and back. So that just kind of illustrates um, how important that industry is to our entire state and uh, just how extensive the pipeline infrastructure is in Texas. One of the main takeaways was that I think the infrastructure bill that is being debated in the Senate right now and could be voted on any day, might have some sticking points or some work to do in the House. Um, if and when it does pass the Senate and reaches the House, I think, you know, the are obviously going to want to have their say and may um, propose their own amendments and changes. And so, of course, the chamber will continue to monitor that and um, advocate for a bipartisan solution that would enhance our uh, our roadway infrastructure of course but also things like cyber security, broadband access, energy infrastructure, things like that. So we'll of course keep you posted and hope that uh, our elected officials in DC can come up with a solution for the American people. Last item that uh, I'd like to update y'all on is the city streets bond. You may recall the chamber sent out a survey and has been following this and the council finally took action on it on Wednesday of this week. They did um, unanimously vote to move this forward. It'll go to a second hearing next week, and from there we'll um, be placed on the ballot in November for City of Lubbock voters to make their voice heard. And so just to kind of recap some survey results that the chamber acquired, we got a great response, by the way. I think we had between six and 700 people from the community chime in on this and by and large found widespread support for the projects outlined about 133 million of the bond would go to the arterial street program and this is several different projects that are either widening streets that um, maybe currently can't accommodate the traffic from the growth in different areas of our city or rebuild projects for things like 34th street that uh, they, they just need to be redone so We found that almost three in four respondents, about 72%, agreed that it was important to rebuild sections of 34th Street. Only 14% disagreed with that. Another nine in ten of our respondents said that it was important to widen streets in high-traffic, high-growth areas to keep up with that growth and make sure that we don't fall behind. The second component of the bond is the Broadway and, and Pedestrian Creek crossing. that comes out to about $41.5 million. There was certainly still support for rebuilding Broadway between University Avenue east to Canyon Lakes Drive. We did get some input. There's a little bit of uncertainty on if that would be brick, if it would be concrete, maybe a mix of those two. And I think the respondents kind of wanted some clarity on that before it goes to the ballot. And it sounded like, based on the council's discussions this week, that they would have a, a final plan um, or suggestion in place to the voters before anybody actually votes on this. So we'll be interested to see what they clarify in that respect. Really the only item that didn't have widespread support, there was kind of mixed feelings across the board on the um, bridge along Broadway to enhance walkability and make sure that people don't have to move into the street or into the bike lane to cross an area where a creek at McKinsey, Lake, or at McKinsey Park intersects with Broadway. Most did still agree with that, but um, it was closer to about half and half, and then another half of respondents were either unsure or they wanted to learn more about that project or disagreed that that was important. So we'll see if that kind of becomes a, a sticking point, either for the council or for the voters. Um, all in all, though, uh, people said that they there should be a balance between rebuilding older areas of the city's infrastructure and accommodating new growth. About a quarter um, said that one should be emphasized over the other, but half of respondents, 50%, said that they should be prioritized equally. So in total, I think that shows um, that the voters want those two things to be balanced. Lastly, of course, there will be a small property tax increase associated with this they're estimating about nine dollars a year for a one hundred fifty thousand dollar home in the city of lubbock and our respondents overwhelmingly agreed that they would be willing to pay that small increase to invest in these infrastructure projects so um we will be at the council meeting next week to just kind of relay some of these findings and sentiments from the chamber's standpoint but um, are excited to see that moving forward and hopefully on the ballot in November, and um, we'll keep you posted on our efforts related to that bond package. I think that's all for this week. Appreciate you all tuning in, and we'll be back in touch again next week. Thank you for listening.